This well-known depiction of angels by Raphael captures the popular understanding of angels in our culture. Angels are little, cute, chubby, curious, childlike creatures sprinkling blessings on everyone. They fill our greeting cards and knickknacks on shelves. But that's not a real accurate depiction of angels according to the Bible. In the passage of Scripture that we'll be looking at today, Jesus Christ is compared and contrasted with angels. And our concept of angels will affect how we think of Jesus when we look at this comparison. We're continuing our study through the letter of Hebrews today. So if you have your Bible, you can make your way over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. If we see angels as cute, chubby cherubs with wings that float about with tiny little bows and arrows looking for the unsuspecting to skewer with their love-tipped darts, well, then we're going to come away from this comparison with a correspondingly low view about who Jesus Christ is. But if we have a biblical view of angels, then we're going to have a correspondingly high view of Jesus Christ, because the Bible portrays angels as majestic, grand beings possessing power and strength far superior to that of human beings. In order for us to truly appreciate the comparison between Jesus and angels that's made here in this passage in the letter of Hebrews, we need to understand a little about the biblical view of angels. So I want to do that before we dive into the rest of the passage. What does the Bible say about angels? Well, if you were here for our Bible study of the book of Daniel in recent weeks, you'll remember that we encountered angels a number of times in that book. In the latter chapters of the book of Daniel, angels explain to Daniel the meanings of the visions that God is giving him. And they are engaged in tremendous battles in the spiritual realm on behalf of Daniel and his people. Angels are created beings like us, but they're different from us, although they often appear as people when seen by people, they are not human beings. They're spiritual beings with the ability to take on physicality. We tend to think of spiritual as something less than physical, but in reality it's the other way around. Physical is less than spiritual. It would be considered a subset of spiritual, so to speak. In other words, a spiritual being can cross over into the physical realm and assume physicality. A physical being, though, can't at will cross over into the spiritual realm in the same way. There are two classes of angels, fallen and unfallen. The fallen angels are commonly referred to as demons and devils. The term angels is used to refer to unfallen angels. The Bible indicates that there are lots of angels. In Daniel's vision of the throne of God in Daniel 7, for example, he saw 10,000 times 10,000 of angels standing before the throne, worshiping and praising the Lord. 10,000 times 10,000 is a figurative expression used to indicate this huge multitude of angels that were present. Angels are messengers 
and servants of God. The word angel literally means messenger. And although angels have free will, they are so completely aligned with God and committed to serving Him that when they have appeared to someone, they speak as though they are God's very mouthpiece in the Bible. They don't stand as their own individual or deliver their own message or their own opinions about things. They speak of the Lord and His message. For example, when Joshua and the Israelites were near the city of Jericho preparing to go into battle, an angel all of a sudden stood in front of him with a drawn sword. You might remember that story. And Joshua asked the angel, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel answered, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And the angel was saying in effect that I'm not concerned about sides. I serve the Lord and carry out what he has commanded. God's will transcends sides. Some of the terms used in the Bible to refer to angels are army of the Lord, stars, heavenly ones, sons of God, mighty ones, holy ones, chariots of God, strong ones, destroyers, ministers of death. Often when people encounter an angel in the Bible, they immediately fall at the angel's feet and begin to worship the angel. But the angel immediately stops them from doing that, refusing to receive worship, directing all worship to the Lord alone. The usual reaction from people in the Bible when they encounter an angel is fear. Angels are fearsome beings with awesome power. In 2 Kings 19.35, for example, you might remember that during the time of Hezekiah, one night a single angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's a very different picture of an angel than the chubby, child-faced cherubs of pop mythology, right? You might remember that angels, they played a part in the story of Jesus. For example, an angel appeared to the young woman Mary and told her the Holy Spirit would conceive in her the Christ child, the Son of God. An angel spoke to Joseph and told him to go ahead and take Mary to be his wife. When Jesus was born, a huge host of angels appeared to the shepherds in the nearby field, announcing the birth of the Messiah and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. An angel attended Jesus while he was in the desert wilderness, fasting for 40 days. An angel was with Jesus, strengthening him as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before he would be crucified. An angel was present at the resurrection of Jesus, you'll remember, rolling back the stone from the tomb and greeting the women who had come to anoint the body of Jesus. Well, considering all of this, it's easy to see why people would hold angels in high regard. And some have developed superstitions about angels and even worship them. Recognizing what incredible beings angels actually are 
and the important role that they have carried out for the Lord in human history, the writer of Hebrews uses that to exalt Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, this passage that we'll be looking at today, he says, in effect, if you think angels are awesome, you need to look at the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because he's superior to angels in every way. So let's begin reading in verse 4. It says, So he, Jesus, became as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The author compares the Son, Jesus Christ, and angels in his passage, and the first way that he compares the two to demonstrate the Son's superiority is to compare their names. The significance of names in the Bible is worth knowing about. In that time and culture, a person's name was not just a label, like it's used in our own day. It represented who the person was. As an example of this, in the Bible, we see the Lord giving people new names at times, giving them a new definition of who they are a new character, a a new heritage, a new family membership, a new future, a new hope. In ancient religions, it was believed that if you knew the name of a god or a spiritual entity, it would give you power over that entity or god. Well, all of this is to say that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, having a name superior to the angels was a far more significant comparison than we might initially think. The author is comparing the very character, the personhood, the position, the authority, the power of the Son of God to that of angels when he says that he has a name superior to theirs. Angels are messengers of God. The Son is the author of the message and the message itself. Philippians 2, verse 9 it says, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So the author quotes here from Psalm 2, verse 7 and 2 Samuel 7, 14. And he's drawing our attention to the unique relationship between God, the father, and the son. They have a father-son relationship. No angel has a relationship like that with God. The angels are servants. The angels are the groundskeepers, the landscapers, the gardeners, the maids, the butlers, the janitors, the errand runners, the delivery people. Jesus is the Son. There's no higher place of privilege with the Father than that of the Son. And this is the position that Jesus holds. Verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world... He says, let all God's angels worship him. The author makes the point that not only does the son have a very unique and special father-son relationship with God, but he also holds a special exalted position as the firstborn. 
The firstborn son held a special position within the ancient Jewish family. The firstborn son received a larger inheritance than the other children, usually double the inheritance of the other children. The father gave a special life blessing to the firstborn. The firstborn was the leader of the family in the father's absence. The firstborn was given an honored place at mealtimes and special family gatherings. The firstborn was a symbol of the father's strength and vitality and God's blessing on his life. The firstborn was considered Yahweh's. So to repeat, in the case of Jesus, he is not only the son, he holds the special exalted position as the firstborn son. He says, let all God's angels worship him. The angels are commanded to worship the son Jesus. The lesser worships the greater. In speaking of the angels, he says in verse 7, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved justice and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Verse 7 is a quotation of Psalm 104, verse 4, which highlights the power and the strength of angels. The the angels, he says, are like the wind, as swift and encompassing as the wind, and the angels are like flames of fire, possessing the destructive power of fire. We've seen the awesomeness of the power of wind and fire and the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the forest fires that have taken place in recent memory. The destruction we have seen from these things, it reminds us of how small and vulnerable we are. All of the things in this world that we cherish and have built and accumulated, they can be swept away in the blink of an eye by a hurricane or a tornado or a forest fire. Angels possess that kind of overwhelming power. The sun is greater, though, because in verses 8 and 9, quotations of Psalm 45, 6 and 7, he highlights the eternal nature of the sun over that of angels. The angels may be impressive beings in comparison to humans, but there is a, there's a drop in the sea of eternity in comparison to the sun. The, the author calls attention to the royalty of Jesus here. His throne and the scepter of his kingdom are over all and will never end, it says. The author calls attention to the passion of Jesus, which is righteousness. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Righteousness refers to the heart of the Father, the things that God cares about, love and justice and compassion and purity of heart. Then in verse 10, it says, He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. 
So the author, he quotes Psalm 102 here, verses 25 through 27, to again point out the Son as creator of the universe, the eternal nature of the Son, and His dominion over all of the creation. The Son is the creator, it says in verse 10. The Son laid the very foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of His hands. We talked about this last week too. In Colossians 1.16 it says, For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. Talks about the eternal nature of the sun. The most enduring thing in the physical universe is the universe itself, the heavens. But it's going to wear out and perish, it tells us here. The sun will roll it up like a worn out garment. But the sun will always be. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever and the dominion of the sun. There's no place in all of existence that is outside of the sun's domain and authority. 13. To whom, or I mean, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This is a quotation of Psalm 110, verse 1. You'll remember we talked about this last time as well, but the right hand is the place of honor and privilege and blessing. Noticing that the Son is sitting at the right hand. What are the angels doing in contrast? It says they're standing before the throne, worshiping the Son. Servants are not allowed to sit in the presence of their Master. God the Father is going to subdue all of Christ's enemies and make them a footstool for him. And the angels are servants who will help accomplish that. And finally, verse 14, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the writer, he ends the passage with this rhetorical question about angels. Angels are indeed amazing beings who possess a place of dignity and honor and have overwhelming power. But their purpose is service. They're all ministering or serving spirits. And in fact, the angels provide service to God's people, people who are being saved, those who will inherit salvation, it tells us here. It should be pointed out that they get their service orders, though, from the Lord, not us. We don't each get our own personal superhero to order around and direct. We don't really have any say over any of the angels. We don't have that kind of authority at this point. They're under the sun. Think about what a grand place the Lord has put us in, who are his children. He's commissioned his majestic heavenly angels to watch over us. But I want us to note this, that as amazing as it sounds that angels are caring for us like that, they can't save us. 
Only Jesus Christ can do that. Only Jesus Christ can provide salvation for us. Only God the Son became a human being and experienced our pain and suffering and died on a cross for our sin to rescue us. Now a question that comes up sometimes is, are all human beings promised guardian angels? And the answer to that is no. Not all human beings are promised that. Only those who will inherit salvation can know that they have the Lord's ministering spirits with them. Those who are outside of Jesus Christ, they have no guarantee of that. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. In closing, if you have been intrigued by angels and found yourself yearning for what they are pointing toward, I want to encourage you to take a full step of faith and come to Jesus Christ. He's the one that the angels are pointing to. He's the one that they serve as master. I find it interesting, the way people think oftentimes is, well, angels are so cool, and you know, I, I want to worship angels, and I want to learn about angels, and I want to have angels hanging up on my wall, and I want to have little statues of angels. Why settle for seconds? Why settle for seconds? They worship Jesus. They serve Jesus. If you're intrigued and drawn to the idea of angels, take the next step. Come to Jesus Christ. They're his servants. Don't worship the servant. <laughs> worship the son. So I want to leave you with this, with a, with a couple of Closing thoughts is, one, consider how precious you are to the Lord. He's put his most capable guards on the job, assigning his angels to watch over us. What grand plans and visions he must have for us, or his children. 1 John 3, 2, John writes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Then lastly, I want to encourage you, meditate on the grand majesty of Jesus Christ. Let the wonder and the mystery fill your heart. Genuine, heartfelt, life-changing worship comes from an awe-inspiring vision of Jesus Christ. And I hope that this comparison of Jesus and angels, it helps you and me to do that. Let's think about that. This majesty of these beings. These are his servants. <laughs> and he's our king. He's our Savior. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for 
this passage that reminds us of your majesty, of who you are, Jesus, the place that you hold in, in all of existence. And Lord, I ask that you would encourage your people today as we have heard who you are, that you love us and you're you care for us. You've saved us. You are our king and our savior and our rescuer. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people today. Remind them that they are yours. We can depend on you, Lord. We can run to you. In Jesus' name, amen.